With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. HN Podcast with Miller and Dace coming at you from the brand new studios for me. So hopefully the uh, it's not too airy, but we'll get things figured out here as I get more stuff hung on the wall. So... Uh, at any rate, Steve, this week what we're going to do with the HN Podcast, we are going to go over your annual predictions of over-unders. Now, you made these predictions before Las Vegas came out with their over-unders, and you did not have the benefit of seeing theirs as we would always do. We'd like to do things independently without looking at what other people do, so these over/under win total predictions you made before you saw those. Give us, give the you know uninitiated an idea of what we're going to be talking about. So this is something we actually started doing this. Gosh, it's been almost ten years now on our old uh, morning show in Des Moines. And one day you challenged, you pushed back on my uh, college football idiot savantness. And I, I seem to recall we did two things. One was. You asked me to name two guys starting in North Carolina's defensive secondary. Yeah. And I think I named like three of them. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And then the, <laughs> and then the other one was not guessing not guessing the over-unders. We'll do that later when we get closer to the season. You right. and I will give our over-under predictions and then go back in December and see if we were right. Because these are just for the regular season when they put these out. But you, you challenged me to predict if, if I could, or, or guess if I could predict what Vegas would say the win totals were. Right. And we just did this off the cuff, totally unrehearsed. Yes. And, and you, were, you were pretty astounded by how close I could get on many of these teams just off the top of my head, right? I so, mean, yeah, I, I don't like to use the term astounded, but it's probably in the neighborhood. <laughs> so what we've done every year since then on the podcast is – end of may early june when they come out with the official over-unders before i've seen them i and and what i've done the last couple of years i'll put them in writing uh, so like i sent you an email about a week ago so that we would have a record of me saying hey here's what i think they'll be before i've had a chance to see them yes and then we go through all the power five teams and I, i'll give a quick hot take on why i think what i think then give a number and i have to be within a half a game right Yep. For it to count. Okay. Yes. All right. Half of the game is a winner. So, okay. Let's do this then. Let's start with the uh, ACC. And you had Clemson at 10.5. Rationale behind that? I think they are clearly the class of this league. I just finished going through doing. Uh, spreadsheet breakdowns of all the power five conferences and different criteria areas. And, um, they had one of the biggest leads, one of the biggest margins from first to second place. In fact, I think that was either them or Washington in the PAC 12. So I, I think they're easily the, the favorite in this conference. And if I'm right at 10 and a half, I think they're a game and a half higher than any other team I have in this conference. Yeah, you're right. It was a game and a half. The South Point Las Vegas, they had Clemson at 11, 
So that is a winner. Yep. Winner, winner. So can command you. I'm going to underline the one, the winners. Next up, Notre Dame and Miami. You have those two teams at nine games each. Yeah, I think Notre Dame's got a, a typical schedule, several very tough games, several very winnable games, a few games that could go here, they're either here or there. Uh, they're ranked fifth in the uh, ESPN preseason FPI, which I think is way too high. So I think nine is where they'll split the difference because that's how many games they won in the regular season last year. And um, I'll have Miami at nine, although I would put them actually a little bit higher, maybe nine and a half or ten. But I'm going to I'm going to guess based on the way they finished last year with those three straight losses that Vegas maybe uh, docks them a half a game for that. So you've got Miami at nine and Notre Dame at nine. Yes. All right. You just talked yourself out of a Miami win. Vegas has them at 10. And I know you just yeah. talk about nine and a half. All right, next up, Virginia Tech. Uh, eight wins for them is your total you set. You also projected eight for Florida State. Now, eight for Florida State would be a two-game increase. They only went six and six last year. Uh, Virginia Tech, uh, eight would be a bit of a downward trend for them. They actually just got some really bad news a couple of days ago over the weekend. Uh, by far their best returning defensive player, uh, one of the best corner, maybe the maybe one of the best corners in the ACC, Adonis Jordan, has just been ruled ineligible. Mm. And then they brought in a junior college stud that was supposed to fill in one of the starting spots in the secondary. He didn't academically qualify, so I don't know if that's the difference in them, you know, in Vegas with a game or not. But but I have Virginia Tech with which lost a ton to the NFL. Uh, into graduation and and now to academics. I've got them a little bit lower at eight. Well, you get wins on both of those. Uh, South Point had Florida State at seven and a half and Virginia Tech at eight and a half. Uh, NC State, seven and a half, and then Louisville and Boston College at seven. NC State lost a ton, although they are returning arguably the best quarterback in this conference and Ryan Finley. Um. They were one of my best bets last year for uh, season win totals at over, and that came through because I won every one of my best bets last year. We'll talk about that in a few minutes because, uh, you know, I'm going to brag about that. But Louisville did, you, lost you, 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 you just did. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> Louisville lost a ton, but uh, I think Bobby Petrino will get the benefit of the doubt so they won't have them below seven. Boston College brings a ton back. Although depth-wise, they are anemic, but they bring back several frontline players like A.J. Dillon and Anthony Brown and others that really flashed as younger players last year. And Iowa, of course, our listeners got a chance to see them in the bowl game a year ago, so that's why I have them at seven. This, so Boston College, this is a big miss um, considering what we're doing here. Vegas has them at five and a half. Wow. Yeah, that's a, that's a big, big difference. I'd be very worried if I were a Boston College fan at that. <laughs> you think? I would. I mean, well, when sure. you have a break, yeah, when you have a breakthrough season like that and you're a major market team and you bring back as many frontline guys, you know, star running back like AJ Dillon, and they've got you not even getting bowl eligible, I'd be very worried yeah. about that if I'm a Boston uh, College. Vegas has Louisville dead on 7, so you hit that right in the number. Uh, and then NC State was the other one, and they are at seven, and you had them at uh, seven and a half. So you get two out of three wins there. Georgia Tech, six and a half. Wake Forest, six. And Pittsburgh, six. 
I like Pittsburgh's team a lot. They bring back quite a bit. Remember, they closed the year with that big win against Miami when they were number two or three in the country, but their schedule's tough, so I think that may keep them down, including a non-conference game with Penn State. Wake Forest has gone to bowl games two years in a row, but they lose their star quarterback. Uh, and then Georgia Tech, I like their team a lot. They were really close in several games last year and then only finished uh, five and seven, or five and six. They had one game they lost from a hurricane. But their schedule is really tough, too. Uh, you know, they've got Georgia now as a powerhouse, as a non-conference, before the event, in addition to playing the ACC. So I think Vegas will forecast all three of those teams to be right around bowl eligibility. Uh, Georgia Tech, Vegas has at five and a half. So just missing. Mm-hmm. So you missed that. Wake Forest, you have at six. And Vegas also has them at six. And then Pittsburgh you have at six, and Vegas has them at five and a half. So you get two out of three wins there as well, but a couple of teams projected, well, right near bull eligibility. Duke, five and a half, Virginia, five, North Carolina, five, and Syracuse, five. Obviously, I think these are pretty much all the same team, but Duke just has the better coach in David Cutcliffe. So going and where I've got Vegas, it's alphabetical. So they've got Duke at six and a half. Mm. Uh, and then North Carolina, they have at five, which is exactly what you have. Syracuse, you have five. Vegas has them at Syracuse, Syracuse, Syracuse. Come on, where are you, Syracuse? Did they decide not to have them in FBS this year? Uh, Syracuse, six. So that was a miss. And then Virginia was the last one. Cavaliers at five. So you got two out of four there. Two two dead hits um, and two misses. So with the ACC, you got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten out of 14? Yep. Yeah, it's pretty good. That's really good, I would say. Not pretty good. Really good. Next up, Big 12. Ten out of 15 because we included Notre Dame in there. Ten out of 15. Still 66%. Uh, you would win some money with a percentage like that anywhere in Vegas. Big 12, Oklahoma, you have them at 10, and that's exactly where Vegas has them. Yeah, and I could see that number being altered by whether Kyler Murray goes in the first round of the baseball draft. Well, he's, he's, he, Lincoln Riley recently, uh, down here in Tulsa actually, said that you know, he was quoted as saying that the family has assured him that he is going to be going to Oklahoma. He will not be playing summer baseball this year, but the draft is, what, tonight as we record this? It's tonight. And and I, it's funny because I heard Rick Neuheisel tell a story today. Remember Marcus Tuyasasopo, his quarterback, who was really good on the Washington team that beat Purdue in the Rose Bowl? Yes. And and his little brother was even highly, more highly recruited than uh, Marcus was. And Rick agreed because he was close with the family. He told this story about how he agreed to not recruit another quarterback in that class if his brother, who was also a top baseball prospect in the family, gave him their word that he was going to forego baseball and play college football. And Rick's like, you know, we came, just came off of winning the Rose Bowl. I've got, you know, I'm known as an offensive guy. I've got every high, top high school quarterback in the country pretty much willing to right. listen to me recruit them. But I know this family. I know the makeup. I, I know he's a leader of men. Um, we have a good connection. So I – if I hear it from them that they're coming, I'm believing it. And so I'm going to say no to all these other kids. What do you think happened uh, after signing day come June in the baseball draft? Oh, uh, yeah, I've never heard of the guy. Yeah, because uh, he wouldn't play baseball. And that really stuck Neuheisel without a quarterback. So 
I, I know that's what they're saying now. Let's sure. see what happens if he's a first-round pick. Because he, he, keep in mind, this guy's like 5'9 right. and 180 pounds. Right. This isn't even Baker Mayfield. He, he's, he's not, he is not Russell, uh, uh, Russell Wilson. He's not even close. He's never playing quarterback in the NFL. This is Antoine Randall-L is what this is. Okay? So let's wait and see if he gets picked in the first round and they offer him three, four, five million guaranteed which is more than he'll probably ever make playing professional football by a multitude. Uh, let's wait and see if he still says no. I'll be curious. Yeah, if he gets that kind of money and I was his parent, I'd say, sorry. I think that's the – my advice would be that's the way you should go. Because no doubt about you, that. You're basically no – I agree. You're, you're risking way too much just to be a college football player at Oklahoma. Yeah, you could probably sell insurance the rest of your life, but uh, compounding interest on 3 to $5 million, even after taxes, you're going to be well ahead. Um, Texas, Virginia, and TCU. West Virginia. I'm sorry, Texas, West Virginia, and TCU. You have with uh, eight wins. Texas has the most, uh, I think, depth of any team in this conference when I went through all the rosters. But a lot of that are players that haven't really established themselves yet. West Virginia has an incredibly dynamic offense. I think maybe the best offense in this conference, which is about offense, but defensively last year, man, they were barely a speed bump. And then you have TCU, which lost more starters in this league than anybody else, but also has what I rank the best coach in this league in Gary Patterson. So West Virginia has seven for Las Vegas, so you missed their TCU eight and a half, so you hit that one. And then Kansas uh, and Texas. Yeah, you hit Texas dead on. What well, was eight and a half, so you get a win there. So you win two out of three. Next up, Kansas State. Seven and a half, Oklahoma State, seven and a half, and Iowa State sitting there at six. Oklahoma State didn't lose the most starters, but they lost the most overall talent, and they don't even have the recruiting base. Their recruiting base is closer to Iowa State's than TC- than even TCU's, or let alone a, a Texas or an Oklahoma. Um, so I, I, I can, and they've got a really sneaky non-conference game against Boise State. Even though it's in Stillwater, Boise State's bringing everybody back. A lot of people think they're the group of five champion into the New Year Six this year. So I, I, I'm worried about Oklahoma State. Kansas State, um, you know, depth-wise, they're the most anemic team in this league. What Bill Snyder does with the recruiting base he has, his reputation's well-earned. Uh, they've got a couple quarterbacks that were young guys last year that had played because of injuries. But now they're back and they're proven, so they've got some depth there. Very fascinating non-conference game with Mississippi State, who's in a lot of people's preseason top 25, coming to Manhattan, Kansas in September. I think that'll be interesting. And I think because of that, if if they were playing Missouri State instead of Mississippi State, I think their win total might be eight or eight and a half. But because of Mississippi State coming in, a power team from the SEC, I downgraded their win total to about seven and a half. Kansas State for Vegas six, and you had them at seven and a half. Wow, Vegas does that's that's bad news for Kansas State. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oklahoma State, you had seven and a half. Vegas has them eight, and Iowa State, you had them six, and Vegas has them at six and a half. So two out of three there. Texas Tech five and a half. Baylor four and a half, and Kansas three. I think that we're in the last days of Cliff Kingsbury at Texas Tech. Baylor I'm fascinated by because even though they were 1-11 last year, they had several close games. And, and they're, they're like the transfer you of, of football now. I, mean, I, got, I, I think I counted six high-level transfers coming in from various schools. 
including a couple of guys that are proven elite. Well, maybe not elite. Let's say proven, productive FBS Power 5 players. Jake Fruwagen, former starting tackle at Clemson. Jalen Hurd, you'll remember him, the tailback at Tennessee. He played Iowa his freshman year in the Tax Slayer Bowl, ran all over them. Well, they're both eligible for Baylor this year. So I really wasn't sure where to put them. I could see them flirting with bowl eligibility, So, I, but I played it a little conservative at four and a half. So they've got uh, Texas Tech at six, so your five and a half is dead on. They have Kansas at three, so your three is dead on. Vegas has Baylor at six, and you Ooh, have them at four and a half. That's good news if you're a Baylor fan. So, so far, we've only had bad news. Yeah. But that that's good news if you're a Baylor fan. Can't They are projecting them to, to have five times the amount of wins they had last year. So I'd, I'd feel good about that if I were a Baylor fan. So you missed one, two, three out of ten. So 70% in the uh, Big 12. Let's move on to the Big 10. Ohio State sits atop your... Uh, Big Ten win total projections at 10.5 with Wisconsin at 10 and Penn State at 10. Well, Ohio State's a brand, the brand, arguably right now. Uh, Certainly it is in the Big Ten. Wisconsin, based on what they did last year, schedule is much tougher for Wisconsin this fall than it was last year. Pretty much every difficult, tricky game Wisconsin is playing is not at Camp Randall this season. But based on the hype they're getting, and their tradition, I have them still there pretty high. And then Penn State, you have a you have a high name team that people like to bet. And there's several of these in the Big Ten, from Nebraska, Michigan, Penn State, Ohio State, all kinds of those teams. So I think their number maybe gets a little inflated, but but they also won their bowl game. They bring back a guy who I think is going to have a huge senior year, uh, and their schedule is not that daunting. Um, so I've got Penn State up there still pretty high with at an over under of ten. Uh, Vegas, 10.5, so dead on for Ohio State. Wisconsin, 10, so dead on for Wisconsin. And Vegas has Penn State at 9.5. You had them at 10, so that's within the margin of error, so off to a 3-for-3 start. Michigan, you have 9. Michigan State, you have 9. Iowa, you have 7.5. For Michigan, I think the problem is um, I think they have the best returning starting lineup in the league. Uh, The problem is the schedule. Uh, so I think Vegas will downgrade them that. I think if Michigan played last year's schedule with this roster, I think their over-under would be 10.5. That's how much of a factor I think the road schedule will be for the odds makers. is I downgraded them a game and a half or predicted they would. Michigan State had nine last year, brings back 19 starters. Um, schedule is about what it was last year. Very manageable with some very difficult games thrown in. And then Iowa at 7.5. Um, right around, you know, where they were last year, lost some key players, brings back more than I think people think. And I also think the schedule for Iowa sets up much more favorably now that I'm looking at it much more closely preparing my preview than when I was giving it cursory glances, you know, January, February, March, et cetera. So Michigan, nine, dead on. Michigan State, nine, dead on. Iowa, seven and a half, dead on. So out of six Big Ten teams, you have five direct hits. Not just getting them right. You're six for six, but five direct hits. Let's move on. Nebraska, six and a half. Northwestern, six and a half. And Purdue at six. And let's even go down to Indiana at five. I think these are kind of similar teams from a Vegas perspective. Although I think the ceiling for Nebraska is certainly higher than the rest of this quartet. 
I'm not very confident Clayton Thorson will be ready for that opener against Purdue on that Thursday night. And if he is, I, I just can't believe he'll be much of a running threat early on. They've got Duke coming in early, too, at Northwestern. Remember, Duke just rolled them last year. Um, but this is also a team, I think, that's won 27 games the last three years. So I think Vegas splits the difference, and instead of giving them maybe a five or a five-and-a-half, gives them a bit of a Pat Fitzgerald bounce. Purdue has a lot of hype right now because of the way they finished and they won, a bowl, they won their bowl game. But, man, their defense in the spring looked young, and it looked small. And then you look at Indiana, where I think their window is kind of closing a little bit now. I think they went to back-to-back bowl games towards the end of the Kevin Wilson era, and then they hand off to Tom Allen. Last year, we've talked about this on the podcast before, they were 27th in the nation in total defense, the best I can ever remember Indiana being, and they still could not get to bowl eligibility. So I kind of think Indiana may be reverting back to uh, the pre-Kevin Wilson, Terry Hepner era. Well, you had Nebraska at six and a half. That's what Vegas has. You had Northwestern at six and a half. Vegas has them at six. You had Purdue at six. That's what Vegas has. You had Indiana at five. That's what Vegas has. Wow. So we're... I watch a lot of Big Ten football, obviously. So we're 10 games in, and you have all 10 correct and eight direct hits. Last four, Minnesota, you have five. Maryland, four and a half. Rutgers, four. And Illinois, three. So Minnesota's fascinating because they have some good pieces back, but but they have some difficult problems. Rodney Smith, their star tailback, out for the year already, non-contact drill. They went out and signed one of the top junior college quarterbacks in the country, Victor Viramontes. He just announced a few days ago he's going back to Juco to learn to play linebacker because he thinks that's his pro future. So I think that leaves them without a quarterback on the roster who's ever taken a snap in a college football game. Then you have Maryland who I don't know what it, you know, we looked at Maryland's over under win total last year and thought that's the easiest over on the board. And we were right. Although we had no idea that Maryland was going to get down to their fifth string quarterback, but mm-hmm. they still beat the over under last year. I, Vegas, the, the odds makers just don't think much of them as a program. So I, I'm going to say that they're going to get the reverse of what I forecasted with Fitzgerald and they'll get downgraded when they should be probably closer to five and a half or six. And then you have Rutgers in Illinois that, you know, they're, they're the caboose of the Big Ten right now, and that's where cabooses usually get rated. Minnesota, you had at five. Vegas has them at six. So that's your first miss in the Big Ten. Do you we, know what that tells me then? Given my record on the Big Ten and I'm off, they're go off. Go to the window right now, bet the, bet the under. Yes. Yeah, they're off. Uh, but the They've last... got a tricky non-conference game, too, with Fresno State coming in. With Jeff Tedford, they were the most improved team in college football last year. And they bring back a lot of those guys. So you lo- think about this. If you're Minnesota, if you lose that home game to Fresno early in the year, and then you still have nine Big Ten games, they ain't getting the six wins. Right, right. So then uh, Maryland, four and a half, dead on. Rutgers, four, dead on. Illinois, three and a half, dead on. So 11 direct hits out of 14 and 13 within the margin of error out of 14. I don't know that you've ever done that well for any conference in any year that's pretty impressive it is that sometimes i even amaze myself i was just saying you know what yeah. let's go ahead and just call it astounding that's what we should do right now. <laughs> <laughs> all right pack 12 washington the cream of the crop at nine and a half with stanford at nine and usc at eight and a half you've seen a little separation more so than the big 10 um 
Yeah, but when we get past these guys, I think a lot of these teams are pretty much the same. Washington's issue is, I think personnel-wise, they're easily the best team in the league. They've got they, that opener against Auburn. It'll be a it's it's a neutral site game, but it'll basically be an Auburn home game. And I, that's a fascinating uh, handicap because, you know, you me, I, I typically love it if you've got the better quarterback and the better defense. I think Jared Sinem is better than Jake Browning. I think Auburn's got the best defensive front seven in the entire SEC, Alabama included. But they're starting four new guys on the offensive line. Washington, I think, has the best defensive front seven in the Pac-12, or they're right there with USC's. So I, I, I wonder about an opening game when you're starting four new offensive linemen against another legitimate top 10, top 15 team where if maybe you played that exact same team in two or three weeks and those linemen had had a game or two to play with each other, you would you could comfortably win that game. But this makes you a little bit more vulnerable. So I, what, I, because of that factor, I wasn't sure whether to put Washington up to 10 or not. So I just split the difference. Stanford, I think at this point in time, um, has sort of become a 9-3 and three kind of a program. And then USC, best overall talent in the conference, but they have a gaping hole. At quarterback, and they're talking about playing a high school senior, JT Daniels, who left high school a year early to enroll at USC. They're talking about making him their quarterback. Right. So that's why I've only got them at eight and a half. All right. So Washington, you had nine and a half. Vegas has them at ten and a half. Stanford, you had at nine. So that nine. means Vegas thinks they have a good chance of beating Auburn, is what that yeah. means. Stanford, you had at nine. Vegas has them at eight. Wow. And USC, you had at eight and a half, and that is where Vegas has them. So. Utah, Oregon, and Arizona. Utah, you have at eight. Oregon, you have at seven and a half. And Arizona, you have at seven. Arizona's a one-man team with Khalil Tate. Oregon may have the guy that could be the number one pick in this in, in, in next year's NFL draft and quarterback Justin Herbert. Um, but I'm not sure about the coach they just hired. I really worry when the, the players are like in the bowl game, yeah, hire the assistant. And then you go out in the bowl game, man, and you face plant. That kind of reeks of Bobby Williams to me. Uh, and then Utah, Kyle Whittingham is the best coach in America. Nobody ever talks about. They, they've done. They've completed the transition to, to you know Power Five football. The one thing he hasn't done yet is win this division. And he's got the favorable schedule. Washington and USC both come to Salt Lake City, but he's got more holes on defense than he typically does. So that's why I have. And they've got a tricky game too. They go to Northern Illinois in the non-conference, and Northern Illinois, who Iowa opens with. They could be the class of the MAC this year. I think that's a real sneaky road game in the middle of September. So that's why I have Utah at eight wins. Okay, Utah, you have eight. Vegas has them at seven. Oregon, you have that's bad news for Utah. Yeah, Oregon's at seven and a half. Vegas has them at eight and a half. Good news for Oregon. Okay, Arizona seven is what you have. Vegas has them at seven and a half. So one and two on that little triumvirate next up ucla you have six and a half washington state six and a half and then arizona state at five ucla has a lot of talent a lot of it unproven and i could see a season where they scuffle under chip kelly but i think there's a there's a path there where in the division they're in the hardest division i'm having uh, the most difficult time figuring out for my preview is this pac-12 south it's just so many teams, everybody's got gaping, gaping wounds of holes. 
You know, and I, I've changed my prediction on this thing like five times already. So I wasn't sure what to do with UCLA. So I'm not confident in that number. Washington State loses quite a bit. They had to bring in a grad transfer quarterback with the Tyler Alinsky, who they've been grooming to take over, uh, committed suicide tragically. Now you're bringing in a grad transfer from East Carolina, which hasn't been very good, so I'm worried about them. So even though Mike Leach is a really good coach, I barely have them reaching bowl eligibility. And then Arizona State actually brings back some really good players from a seven-win team, but no one knows what to make of Herm Edwards, so that's why I put them at five. So you have, um, hang on a second, but we are at Washington State, or U- UCLA, UCLA, right? So UCLA, six and a half uh, is what you had. Vegas has them at five. So another... Bet the over. Yeah. I, that would, in fact, little tease, that's actually one of my best bets later on. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Washington State, six and a half, that's a dead hit. And then Arizona State at five, that's a dead hit. So two out of three there. Let's see, we get a big, strong finish. California, you have five... Colorado, you have five, and Oregon State, you have four. Justin Wilcox, I thought overachieved last year, first year at Cal, winning five games. I, I had in a couple of my projections I do to start my forecast, I had them getting the bowl eligibility, so I could see them being at five or six. Colorado, when I did my roster evaluation, only Kansas had fewer points in talent from its junior and senior classes. So I, I think they're in for another. Uh, sub 500 season and then Oregon State I think is the worst team not named Kansas in college football right now well considering that their total is uh two and a half for Vegas and you had them at four you'd be right on that um Colorado you had it five Vegas has it four in California you had it five Vegas has five and a half that gives you a five and seven record in the Pac-12 which suggests to me that you don't stay up and do late night with the Pac-12 all that often. <laughs> well, one of us is really wrong or one of us is really that's right. right. And that's why they're going to play the games. That's yes. right. That's right. Lastly, the SEC, Alabama 11, Georgia 10 and a half, and Auburn at 10 is what you have. Although I'm wondering, I, I'm pretty confident that I'm right on the first two. I'm wondering if I'm wrong on Auburn when you're telling me that Washington's at 10 and a half. Because, well, I guess if it doesn't mean that Vegas thinks – because I, I think, if I recall, Auburn's like a four- or five-point favorite in that game. So now that I think about it, what, it, what it's basically telling you is Vegas thinks Washington's going to, you know, blitzkrieg the Pac-12. So maybe I'll end up being right on Auburn as well. We'll see. Uh, you were wrong on Auburn. Auburn, you had at 10. Vegas has them at 9. But you were dead All on – All right, so then Vegas does think Washington's going to beat Auburn then. Okay. So you had Alabama at 11. That's a dead hit. You had Georgia at 10.5. That, too, is a dead hit. Moving on, LSU, you have 8.5. Uh, Texas A&M, you have 8. And Mississippi State, you have 8. LSU, the most talented team of this, th- of this three, of this, of this trio. Their schedule, though, man, I mean, it's – their, their SEC schedule is difficult. That they've got Florida now as a permanent crossover. This year they're playing Georgia too. They've got Miami of Florida to open the year. I mean, I can make a case LSU's playing the toughest schedule in the country. And so I think talent-wise, especially the addition of Joe Burrow, this would be typically a, an LSU team that would be nine and a half minimum. But I think with the schedule they're playing, and also you're not sure about Ed Orgeron, I downgraded them to eight and a half. A&M, I think, will get a little bit of a Jimbo Fisher bump from their typical seven-win seasons under Kevin Sumlin recently. And then Mississippi State, 
I can make a case other than Al- other than Auburn and Alabama, this is the best defensive front seven in the SEC, and that usually determines a lot of who wins games in the SEC. But you have a new coach there in Joe Moorhead. We're not really sure about Nick Fitzgerald coming back from that grisly ankle injury we saw in the Egg Bowl. I mentioned that tricky road game at Kansas State. So I had them with an over-under at eight when maybe I, if, if Dan Mullen were still the coach there, I might have put him at nine. So LSU, you had eight and a half. Vegas has seven. Oh, Te- boy. Yeah. Vegas then believes Ed Orgeron won't be coaching there Pretty next much. year is what Vegas Pretty much. Had. Texas A&M, you had eight. Vegas has a seven. And Mississippi State, you have eight. And Vegas has at an eight and a half. Moving on, South Carolina, you have eight. Florida, seven and a half. And Tennessee, six and a half. So South Carolina is a team that's starting to grow on me as I get more in-depth in my preview. I like the way their schedule sets up. I like the quarterback. There's not a lot on their roster that blows you away, but there's not a lot of gaping holes that you're worried about. I, I, I want our audience to remember the name Debo Samuel. He was sensational for South Carolina early in the year, broke his leg, lost for the season. He's back. He could very well be the best wide receiver in college football. Now, they're not a big reputation team, though, so I'm guessing if I missed one in this trio, I'm going to guess it's going to be them. Tennessee – if, if LSU is not playing the toughest schedule in the, in the SEC, then Tennessee is. Uh, I think they even have um, uh, West Virginia to open the year on top of their SEC schedule. And then Florida, you know, people forget we were talking last year, last year at this time, is it them or Georgia in the SEC East before they bottomed out? There's still a lot of really good players there for Dan Mullen to turn around what was, you know, uh, an unusually terrible season for them last year. Okay, so we had left off with South Carolina. You had it eight. Vegas has it seven. Florida, you had it seven and a half. Vegas has them at seven and a half. Tennessee, six and a half. Are we do? Did we do Tennessee yet? Yeah, we did. Yeah, we, we did Tennessee. Yep. yep. And Vegas has them at five and a half. So. Oh. What is, what, so they're telling Rocky Top, don't buy a season yeah, tickets. Don't don't load up. Missouri, especially because the basketball team's going to be damn good. Save your money for the yeah. winter. Missouri's six and a half. Ole Miss, six. Kentucky, five. I've got five and a half for Kentucky on mine. But um, um, Missouri is a one-man show with Drew Locke. Yeah, you're right. Five and a half, sorry. Ole Miss has a really explosive offense. I'm, I, I, I would probably just go to the window, sight unseen blind, and bet the over on every 12, one of their 12 games this fall. Uh, and then you have Kentucky. Uh, if they can find a quarterback, you got a, a sneaky good running back there in Benny Snell, Josh Allen, and a couple of other guys that are really good uh, NFL prospects uh, at, at linebacker. So if they can find a quarterback, I can see Mark Stoops getting them to a bowl game another season. But um, because of the unknown at quarterback, I put them right under the six-win total. So we have uh, Missouri. You said six-and-a-half. Vegas has them at 14, or, or rather seven-and-a-half. Uh, Old Miss, you had it six. That's what Vegas has. And Kentucky, five and a half. You have five and a half. So that's what Vegas has. Two more to go. Arkansas at five. Vanderbilt at four and a half. Arkansas doesn't really have the players to run Chad Morris's system. You're you're going from a pro style to an air raid, and you have to start with the right quarterback. They don't have it. I think they are in trouble in year one. And then, I mean, it's Vanderbilt. That's all that we need to say. Pretty much. Um, Arkansas, you had five. They had six. Vanderbilt, you had four and a half, and they had four. So you had 42 hits out of all the uh, Power 5 teams. That's roughly two-thirds. That's, that's pretty good, I think. I, I guess I didn't come into this thinking what a good number would be, but I think that's, 
that's not too shabby when we're only giving you a half game margin for error. Uh, and if, if we gave you a game margin for error, you probably would have been in the 80 to 85 percentile range. So, and the, and the biggest miss that you had was tied. One and a half games was the biggest miss. Now, your best bets. So, you'll verify this. Last, last year, at this time, I sent you and a few others my five best bet season to- win totals in college football. They were. NC State over six and a half, Temple under seven, Western Kentucky under nine and a half, Toledo over eight and a half, and my bestest bet of them all was Colorado under seven and a half. Do you remember that? I do remember that. I went five and oh. All five of those were right. Oh, man. These are guaranteed picks. So this year I have six best bets. Okay. That you feel that good? I feel that good about. All right. Here they are. Arkansas under six. Maryland over four and a half. South Carolina over seven. Toledo under eight and a half. UCLA over five. My bestest bet of them all. Missouri under seven and a half. I think there's a bit of a Colorado effect there. Where they're overrated based yeah. on what they did last year when they overachieved. Yeah, I, I really, to me, of your best bets, I like the UCLA bet more than the Missouri bet. I, Do I you think, really believe a Chip Kelly team's going to go no, five? No, no, I don't. That's the reason why. I just don't. Sorry. Yeah. Sometimes it's just that simple. You really believe a Chip Kelly team is going to go when you see USC might start a high school senior at quarterback, and and you mean to tell me? That you think a Chip Kelly coach team is going five and seven? I don't believe that. No, nope. I don't believe that. I don't either. I don't either. All right, folks. As a reminder, I forgot to mention this in the open. These these picks right now, at least, are for entertainment purposes only. But maybe by the time we do this next year, it'll be legal for you to run down to the bookie. <laughs> so, <laughs> but just have you know, some I've fun. often wondered. You know me. I won't. I won't. I won't bet games anymore. But I've often. I've. I've wondered since the Supreme Court ruling, am I going to feel real pressure? Even if I'm not betting them, knowing that people can actually go in, because you're kind of detached. You know, every now and then someone will just go to Vegas and send me an email or a DM. And well, say, hey, yeah, they're throwing a hundy. They're throwing, you know, they're they're throwing truly disposable income. Yes, they're not going down and betting the their mortgage. Their phone, when everybody's got the app on their phone a year from now, am I going to feel like real pressure about our picks, knowing that the likelihood somebody may or may not act on them is much higher than it is right now. I've been thinking about that, actually. Well, it probably deserves more consideration because we may need to, de- to decide whether or not we still want to do that. I don't know. Yeah, do I want to enable, you know, aid or abet somebody's potential financial downfall? That's my question. It's like, um, I mean, are you going to stroll into my house, bring in a 12-pack of beer on ice? I mean, even though I'm not going to drink it, Good I don't point. know. We'll have to think yeah. about that. We'll Good point. About that. Maybe we'll just have our own private competition and reveal the results each week after the fact. Um, I think people have listened to us enough through the years, but probably won't be near as entertaining, but it deserves consideration. I'm sure we'll get an outpouring of no to this segment right now. All right, that'll <laughs> do it for the HN Podcast. For Steve, I'm John. We shall talk to you soon.